0: Welcome to NCBA's Cattleman's Call podcast with host, Lane Nordland. All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Cattleman's Call podcast. I'm Lay Nordlund. Thank you so much for joining us here once again today. And I tell you what, we have seen so many changes throughout the past few months because of the COVID-19 pandemic. We've seen the impact it had on the cattle markets, the impact it had on the supply chain, the backup we saw in feedlots and in the packing plants as well. And it's going to continue to impact our lives for many years to come. And it's going to be a topic we discuss today in terms of what is the state of the consumer when it comes to buying beef, cooking beef, and looking at those tasty recipes that are out there to make sure that uh, that beef tastes the best it can be. So that's going to be the topic of discussion here today, and and uh, we're lucky enough to be joined by uh, Buck Werbein out of uh, eastern Nebraska. He's the 2020 NCBA Federation Division Chair, and also Sean Darcy, Senior Director of Market Research there for the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Uh, uh, gentlemen, uh, how are things going here today, uh, I'll start with you first. Uh, You mentioned you got a little bit of snow, and it's about five degrees there in eastern Nebraska today.
1: Yeah, we've had a wide open fall, very dry, uh, which is not good for crops, but very good for feed yards, and so that's been good, and uh, I'd say a week ago we were 60 degrees. This morning we were five, so this is the Great Plains, and, and the weather changes, but a wide open fall for getting a lot of our All work done, manure hauling and things like that. So that's been good. And it's been a, uh, to put it kindly, it's been a wild and crazy year. I got better words than that, but I won't use them on this podcast. (laughs) Glad it's coming to an end.
0: I think we all are. And, and Sean, uh, for yourself, uh, how are things going? You're calling in from the NCBA headquarters there in Denver, Colorado. Uh, how's your day looking, and, and how's it been uh, continuing to, to work on behalf of uh, cattlemen and women here during 2020?
2: Yeah, you know, it's been great. You know We've also had a lot of snow, similar, similar circumstances, 60 degrees, and now flourishing enough snow to go sweating this weekend, so that was a lot of fun. Uh, But, you know, in terms of the office, uh, you know, I can just say that on behalf of NCBA, we've been cranking away over these last, what has it been now, eight or nine months. I'd say it's definitely been ramped up compared to a typical year, uh, whether you're talking about any of our programs under the beef checkoff or NCBA as an umbrella. Uh, We've been working full speed ahead to try to understand all the dynamics that have been out there.
0: And you mentioned dynamics. It truly is interesting looking at all these different dynamics and how the pandemic impacted producers and the food supply chain. And just uh, we are so lucky to actually be where we are at today compared to what those spring months were looking like, especially in feedlot country. Buck, uh, could could you walk us through uh, when, when the when the backups started occurring, the shutdowns at the packing plants? What was it like on year-end? What was going through your mind? What were your daily meetings looking like? And how did you really just uh, uh, take your plan and reshuffle it to make sure those critters were taken care of and uh, that you could continue to put them on feed for a few more days and weeks?
1: Yeah, that was uh, one of the craziest times I've ever gone through, uh, both just out here in our uh, operations as well as as an officer at NCBA, uh, one of the, the elephant in the room was uh, the fact that the plants were going to be running slow, some of them were going to be shut, and how, what, how much backlog we were going to have on cattle that we couldn't get processed. And so uh, I think most of us are, are aware that some of the uh, other uh, animal proteins had to euthanize uh, some animals, and we did not want that to happen. So we were looking at all kinds of ways to avoid that. As it turned out, uh, we were ahead of schedule going into it and we were able to uh, slow down the incoming cattle. And uh, while we backed cattle up quite a bit and made them bigger, uh, we were able to kind of chew our way through and not have to do anything uh, uh, catastrophic like like, uh, uh, euthanize any animals. And so it, all in all, <clears throat> it's difficult to say this, uh, the money that was lost in our business, but all in all, we came through it, I think, reasonably well. And and from the checkoff standpoint, one of the reasons was uh, our demand, the demand for our product out there. And of course, it was consumed entirely differently. <clears throat> the restaurants were shut down or, or slowed down. And of course, we went through that period where the where the meat shells were empty and uh the meat shells were empty but the fake meat shells weren't they they were still there but anyway um so people figured out you know that they could they could still buy it and still consume it and the ban was there and so uh that was well, that was huge in in uh, us not having to take some drastic steps that we were afraid we were going to have to take
2: I was going to just jump onto that, you know, from a consumer perspective, you know, if you build on that time, it's pretty interesting just to to step back and look at that from the consumer mindset. I mean, I don't remember a time in my life uh, where, you know, maybe regionalized or maybe there's a hurricane coming when I lived in Florida at a time in my life where you go to a supermarket and some of the store shelves are wiped out. But it was, you know, nationwide for a little while there. It didn't matter the department you were looking at. People were stocking up on these products, and it was completely out of stock. I mean, I remember my wife going to the store. We had a whole list of things. She walked in, and she came home, and uh, she came home with a bottle of wine and a bag of chips. And I said, what happened? She's like, I just got completely overwhelmed. I didn't know what to do, so I just grabbed some chips and wine and left. So it's just an interesting thing I think consumers are not – used to seeing right in that dynamic uh,
0: no it, it, it's not they're, they're not used to seeing it uh, the reaction and the, the craziness of that reaction when the pandemic first started uh, and uh, buck when you referred to some of those other protein sectors that did have to euthanize uh, uh, especially in the hog industry uh, uh, thousands of hogs had to be euthanized because they they just couldn't handle the backlog. And so I take my hat off to all the feedlots and all the men and women that, uh, really had to work and adjust and, uh, and to, to make sure that those cattle were, 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 were kept healthy and were fed and, and ultimately put back into the food supply chain. And, and uh, before we really jump back into the state of the consumer discussion, I, 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 gentlemen, if you've listened to the podcast, you, you probably know that I wander off into the sagebrush just a little bit. And, and Buck, you're probably my number one podcast uh, listener, aren't you? Or, or this is probably your first podcast you've ever participated in, isn't it?
1: Oh, I think I've heard every one of them.
0: Mike. <laughs> well, I'll sign autographs at the cattle <laughs> industry meeting. Uh, okay,
1: <laughs> but
0: uh, uh, be, uh, from the cow calf perspective on my end, I, I tell you, we were sweating bullets last spring and, and into the summer, uh, and, and about the time those video auctions kind of really started rolling, and we we really took a took a big breath in, saying, you know what, I, I think we're going to be able to make this uh, work this year. Um, What was your initial conversations with cow-calf producers that that shipped to your feedlot? What were some of the main uh, talking points you discussed? And then we'll relate this all back to the state of the consumer. What were some of those key discussions that you had in terms of uh, uh, trying to put bids out there for for calves this this past spring and summer and, and ultimately into the fall run?
1: Well, I got a lot of calls from customers, potential customers about what what should they do and so in the spring early summer when the prices got so low I just told everybody don't don't sell I mean either if you've got feed at home keep them at home if you don't put them in a feed yard whether it's with me or someone else but I I felt like we were you know it wasn't going to be worse than it was right then and so my encouragement was consistently to hang on to them one way or the other and so uh, I think that that worked out well interestingly I had some folks who hadn't fed with me for some time in the southeast and they put a lot of cattle on feed that they would have normally just simply sold as feeders to other feed yards and uh, that worked out very well for them and there were even later on there were even some opportunities for hedging and and so forth and so it was one of those situations where that wasn't, you know, the handwriting wasn't on the wall, but on the other hand, you know, your gut really told you that this is probably the bottom. And if you sell here, you're going to be selling on the bottom. And so sometimes your first bid is the best one to take. Your first loss is the smallest, but not always. And this was one of those cases. And so because we were able to kind of muddle our way through and, and, and not have to have cattle backed up so far that that it was really killing us. Uh, then it ended up working pretty well. And there were a couple uh, times in there where the price jumped up a little bit, <clears throat> which took you know gave people a little bit of relief and took some pressure off. And and now through the fall, there's no big money being made, but it's not those you know gigantic losses that we were having back when cattle were bringing 95 coming out of here and and a big you know, eight-weight heifer eight, eight, out of the southeast bringing 95. So uh, I'd say that was my main, my main consistent, uh, uh, you know, idea was, was hang on. Don't, don't do it now.
0: And, of course, Buck, you are the, the division chair of the NCBA Federation, of course, the Federation of State Beef Councils. And and I really wanted you to share your perspective as a feedlot operator and everything that you've gone through here um, throughout the pandemic. Just so other producers uh, can relate to that and, and understand that uh, there's a real producer representing them Um With inside the Federation, just like every single person that serves the Federation, they're all uh, cattle producers, beef producers. And from your perspective, uh, and this is tying back into the importance of beef promotion and research, uh, Buck, why is it important to you? Uh, throughout the years to step up into these leadership roles and and, and give back to this industry to help grow it and help grow that demand and, uh, and knowledge about the best protein out there, that being beef.
1: Well, uh, forgive me, this will take a minute, but uh, I was, uh, I've been in this business in commercial feedlots for 40 years now and uh, kind of broke into it and cut my teeth in Texas, although I'm from here and then, uh, was able to move back here 21 years ago. And I was at the meeting when the merger occurred and, and the checkoff and so forth. And I always was a supporter of it. I always believed in it. I never read a single thing that was sent to me. Uh, I trusted, I, I, I had plenty to do without reading all that material. And so I was really, um, you know, mostly ignorant on how everything worked. I was very ignorant on how the whole process worked. I just believed in it and trusted it and always knew that it was producers and so forth, that, you know, just what you said. <clears throat> but when I got involved with the Nebraska Beef Council and then started working at the national level with the Federation and and the uh, operating committee and so forth, wow, did I get an education. It is, uh, you know, it's a federal law, the act and the order. And it's quite um it's not arcane but it's uh but it's complicated. And it takes time just to get your brain wrapped around it. And but it's really fascinating and as you learn more and more about it, you know, a producer like myself, who I, I would like to think I have a, a very good broad understanding of how this business works, um, to learn what the checkoff has done and you know, the first long-range plan and the foresight that went into that. And um, as, I, as I said, down in Texas when I first broke into this, I, I asked my father one time, I said, why does everybody hate us? You know, that was back when lean, 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 and everybody, you know, pork became the other white meat and, and beef was bad and all that. And, and uh, a lot happened to change that trajectory, which was just down for the first 10 years I was in this business and boy to see what's happened since then and you know you'd be foolish to to give all the credit to the checkoff but you'd be just as foolish to give none to it it's had a lot to do with it and so uh... for someone that came up like that not really paying much attention but believing in it to now having a a good understanding if that's possible for a layman um, (laughs) it's uh... it's really really impressive and one of the most impressive things for me, is what went before us with the first long-range plan and the leadership and and the uh, volunteer people and the staff and whatnot, and the things that have been done and research, you know, just like Sean does, that we build on every year. And that was at our fingertips when we needed it to help people, you know, make their way through this COVID situation and and no longer just being able to stop on the way home and buy something, but, but have to cook it at home. And all the recipes and explanations and description of cuts and so forth I mean that that was all there it, it was on the shelf for us so to, to me that was uh, that that really was the fruition of work done for decades
0: and, and Sean as uh, we look at the research that is done the resources that are, that are available could you quickly just paint a picture about What your job is, working with these producers, working with uh, these valuable uh, producer-funded checkoff research funds, Uh, can can we briefly just talk about your job and uh, the role that you play in uh, talking about and promoting beef?
2: Absolutely. I'd love to. So, you know, our team, we're the market research team, and we NCBA on that behalf of the checkoff We really focus in three areas. And the way to think of market research is everything that kind of impacts our other checkoff programming. And even beyond that, some of the stuff we might do to understand the beef industry for all people within it, producers as well. And those three areas are really tracking those macro trends, whether it's retail. Uh, you know, channel type of work with retail and food service and understanding how things are being impacted. And it could be as big as this was this year with COVID. And it could be just something as seasonal dynamics over the holidays or a grilling season and what, what trends and cuts are trending up and trending down. We also do a lot of what we call our foundational work, which is tracking consumer behavior at a really high level, whether it's through our segmentation analysis and understanding how and what behaviors drive consumption, or if it's more about you know just tracking how those measures over time through our consumer beef tracker, which we have 1,500 people a quarter coming in, and understanding and keeping a pulse on the market to see how things may be influenced. Then another area we focus on is those specifics uh, to understand what is helping a campaign. You know, so we launched beef quality assurance to consumers. It showed tremendous promise with consumers in testing when we did that. So we went out and and did a lot of focus group work and then validated those findings through a large online survey, a quantitative survey, if you will. And a lot of that, you know, those resources help all of our programs bringing those programs to life, for lack of a better word. And it gives them that base level of knowledge, whether it's going out and understanding the content they're gonna be promoting or just the topic in general. Uh, so we are making educated decisions as the checkoff and making sure that we're doing a little bit of risk management and understand what consumers want to hear and, more importantly, what they don't want to hear when we address some of those topics with uh, with beef.
0: Now, as I mentioned at the beginning of our conversation, gentlemen, uh, recently uh, the State of the Consumer report was released uh, Highlighting opportunities for the industry, but but really uh, going into depth about the impact that COVID-19 had on beef demand. And we know... The greatness of the protein that we produce, uh, we know the the nutritional value behind it. But we're producers. We we understand that we're 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 in this business every single day. And the research and the education that uh, the the Checkoff funded programs put out uh, is to drive that demand higher. Put the facts out there. Put the recipes out there. Whatever it's going to be. And so when we look at how COVID nineteen Impacted that reaction. You know, the example, uh, Sean, of your wife uh, grabbing that bag of chips and a bottle of wine. Uh, consumers went to that re- reliable protein that they know, that they've heard about uh, in droves. C- can you maybe just walk us through some of these really important findings that came out in this State of Consumer Report and how really beef really shined through during this very dark time to help people? put food on their tables during the pandemic.
2: Yeah, we can. You know, and just taking a step back to highlight some of that, you know, we surveyed consumers. We started up this stocking up survey to keep a pulse on what was going on with that consumer behavior. Consumers, 84% of their meals are being cooked at home, and that's still current through this fall. The number was closer to 90% when the pandemic first started. So as a result of that, you saw those – Stocking up dynamics, that retail impact you mentioned. Just to give you perspective, retail sales through March, April, May, we're in the 40 to 50 percent in sales terms year-over-year year increase. To give a little perspective on that, a really great year would be one or two percent higher. Uh, you know, I talked to a, an associate at one of the a retail shops that we were pretty close to, and they said, you know, if sales were five to ten percent higher for us. We would have issues in the warehouse on keeping food on the shelf, and we're talking 40, 50%. We had one week, it was 90% year over year. So it's just caused a dramatic increase in that retail space. Obviously, we saw a complete inverse uh, relationship on the, on the food service space, which does represent about 60% of the, the uh, beef when we talk about the total volume that's going through both of those spaces. But they did quickly make up. So, you know, our transactions were way down in food service establishments. But as we've gone through summer and fall, a lot of those numbers have come back as they've kind of adopted really a lot quicker than anticipated on a lot of their delivery options, a lot of those takeout options. But as you mentioned, you know, I think it's Ground beef definitely killed it during this time. I think it's been about 43% of our added value. Uh, beef's added value has been over $4 billion. I think we're over $5 billion now in the retail space. And ground beef's been about 43% of that added value in the space. And a lot of that reason is consumers are looking for that versatility. They're looking for that convenience, something they can easily have in the freezer, right, or pantry items that they can take out. Uh, not have to worry about going to the store as often or as much as they used to. So there there was a lot of positives there, particularly for uh, uh, that ground beef product that we were talking about. And, you know, the Checkoff had a campaign where we shifted back in April, and we ended up putting a lot, you know, some resources behind making sure consumers, if they came to Beef It's What's for Dinner, would find those avenues that they were looking for, those quick and easy meal ideas, uh, those Those inspirations behind the food so people didn't get bored and could use those products that they did have in their freezer, whether it's those classic meatloaf or, you know, some roast they may have purchased uh, and so on. You know, I think another positive, and beef's included in this that we've seen, is a boom in e-commerce. You know, it was obviously growing, whether you're talking about grocery delivery and even online meal ordering from a food service establishment, but this is really, this pandemic has sped up the adoption, and we think this one's likely here to stay from all the data that we're looking at, because consumers had some barriers before this, whether it was, you know, not wanting to pay delivery fees and simple things like that, or it was just they wanted to pick out their own food and had some issues with the customization, especially when you're thinking about a steak. I want to pick out my own ribeye. I want to look at the thickness. I want to get the marbling. But what we've seen through this is consumers are really satisfied, beef specifically too, when I'm talking about this, with the experience they're getting through their online grocery and through their online meal ordering activities. So it's been really promising that beef's been able to be a part of that. Um, As a whole, I think we saw that on all online baskets that went through during this time, about 74% of them included some kind of meat product and a beef was a big component of that. That's just a few of those positives that we've seen throughout the year.
0: And, Sean, when you mentioned the e-commerce aspect of it, uh, it really, my my wife and I have been doing uh, online grocery uh, shopping and and pickup. You just, you know, drive in there, and they load it in your truck, and and you're good to go. But we we did that for three or four years before the pandemic, started. we're used to it. A lot of people, it was their first time. They probably had some frustrations at first, but uh, they've kind of got the the hang of it. But folks are still going to be going into grocery stores, but a large majority, they're still going to be buying – Product online. So, so, the big question is how does the industry need to adapt to that online shopping to, to make sure that? Uh, because when you're walking through the grocery store, you go by the meat counter and be like, you know what? Oh, I'm, I'm going to get some ribeyes today, you know, even though that wasn't on their shopping list. How do we work with grocery stores or, and to make sure that those products are being featured in this virtual shopping environment? How do we make sure that the recipes that are on beefitswhatsfordinner.com are somehow connected to that e-commerce purchase? What, what are some of the discussions around that aspect of making sure that in an e-commerce shopping experience that, that folks are still continuing to, to see the the, the the savings, maybe the sales on meat? to I can keep rambling, uh, but uh, what what is kind of that thought process right now yeah. on the research? End? Oh, yeah.
2: I mean, it's, it's a great point. I mean, value is always going to be a driver. So when you talk about couponing and discounts, obviously that's always going to help out. But I, I think it's all about being at that point of purchase with them. And yes, you're not walking by the meat case, but what can we do? You know, and it's, we at the Checkoff, I think, have done a great job of enhancing and working with partners to make sure their imagery, for instance, is up to date on making sure when they purchase the product and it's a ribeye, that it is a ribeye that they're looking at, and that's what they get uh, in that shelf. But the Checkoff is doing a lot of work. We did it throughout this summer with where we're advertising with people who are uh, in the process of purchasing in those online retail spaces. And that's in the works again this winter. So and the idea is they're served up a recipe or a cut idea while they're shopping for this experience. And even in some of these cases, these platforms we're using can even have a button for them to click on and load up a list that would include all the other items in a recipe. So it's more about getting that convenience, making that experience about shopping online, giving you some of that indulgence that you might get while you're walking around the store and sifting through a couple different products. I think that's really what it's all about, to drive that that
1: for us.
0: Now, Buck, I assume that you buy the groceries in your household?
1: You know, interestingly enough, my wife and I have been married for 48 years, and I've always enjoyed uh, going to the grocery store with her, so... I'm I'm an oddball but but I'm not ashamed of it.
0: No, I mean I, I and I again I was trying to poke fun but uh, at that but uh, I think it's a great time to go in there and and meal prep and everything that that might be but ha- have you had to purchase online groceries?
1: Um my wife has bought some groceries online just recently. Uh, she and I actually had covid and I guess it's probably going on 3 weeks now. So I'll I'll I apologize to everybody listening for my <clears throat> voice and clearing my throat and occasional cough, but, um, we, we came through it all right. It, it kind of wiped us out. But before that, I, I, you mentioned it. I couldn't imagine, and, and we didn't buy any meat because we've got it in the freezer, but I, I, I would have trouble letting someone else pick a steak out for me. I mean, that, that would still be an issue, but I was wondering one of the my favorite data points that Sean's group and, uh, has, has come up with over the years is the fact that when beef goes into the grocery cart, the rest of the grocery cart value goes up, not, not because the beef is expensive, because of everything else that goes in. That's always been one of the most fun data points for me because you talk about a powerful piece of information for a retailer. And so I've wondered, okay, now that they're not actually – going up and down the aisles putting stuff in, I wonder if that impacts that at all because uh, that, that's a very powerful um, – uh, there's, there's a lot of impetus, impetus there to, to have people get beef into the grocery cart, including discounts and, and so forth. And so that's an interesting thing. But I guess um, as, as we get younger and us old guys that you know are kind of not very good with technology – these young, younger uh, people, including our kids that are in their forties, they're completely comfortable with it, and so uh, buying it online is is not an issue, uh, you know. And those of us that don't like it won't do it, and that's okay.
0: Well, well, first off, Buck, I, I wanna uh, just say that I'm glad you and your wife uh, made it through COVID, and. Uh, um, glad glad you are feeling good, and uh, I I wouldn't even have known. I, I you mentioned you, you are coughing a little bit, but hey, you know what? I, I'm glad you're on the show with us talking about about uh, this important uh, issues. But I, I am really glad you guys made it through and are feeling good. Um, but but to that point about that younger generation going online, being comfortable with it, uh, I, a conversation I have so much with. Uh, my own family uh, with uh, other producers is uh, how their checkoff uh, dollar uh, per head is utilized for research and promotion. And one of the the main things, and I know you both have heard this, is we don't see it on TV. We don't see our beef checkoff on TV. And I'm referring, of course, to the beef, it's what's for dinner commercials. Um, Well, if you're watching the Hallmark Channel this year, You are seeing Beef It's What's For Dinner on TV, but before we jump into talking about uh, how Beef It's What's For Dinner has jumped back onto TV for the first time since 2003, can we explain how checkoff funds are utilized to reach that younger consumer audience, whether it's uh, Gen Z, millennials, uh, the the next generations coming up, and and utilizing that dollar to the best of its ability uh, through multiple Media and news platforms.
1: Sure, let me take a stab yep. at that. Let me let me take a stab at that. Uh, when I first got on the beef council eight years ago, and 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 I had been to different seminars and heard speakers and whatnot talking about uh, uh, the millennials. You know, the bi- the big uh, the group bigger than the baby boomers, which I'm a part. And as I was learning more, I thought, My gosh, none of us knows how these people think you know, how can we communicate with them and blah, blah, blah. Then you start learning about social media and that fear or anxiety went to you for you when you realize this is the easiest group of people ever to get in front of. Now, that doesn't mean you convince them and and truly reach them and so forth, but, but it is very inexpensive and very effective to get your name in front of them, your product in front of them and so forth. And so, and get a chance to to uh, convince them of what you are doing and your product and so forth. So um that's been something that with the youth that we have at NCBA and on staff uh, that understand all that that's been uh boy I mean just a real success for us and you know I don't know what a 30 second ad how many million a 30 second ad on a Super Bowl is but you know with the checkoff money um being fewer cattle so the money is less and everything's more expensive. Uh, You know, we haven't been able to advertise in the same way, but it it wouldn't work in the same way either. And so these uh, social media platforms have have proven to be a big uh, boon for us in in my view. And I I know Sean would, would have a lot more detail on that.
2: Yeah, and, you know, Buck, just to pick up on that and put some numbers behind it, you know, we're meeting consumers where they are. And yes, it's definitely driven by the younger generations, but it's not just that anymore. I mean, maybe the early adoption of it, just to give you an idea, video streaming from 2019 to 2020, an average week went from 81 billion minutes, 81 billion, I'm talking, of video streaming for the total U.S. in a given week, to 142 billion minutes and i know those numbers are kind of big and hard to fathom but that's a that's a very that's an over 80 percent increase you know 60 billion minutes a week and a lot of that is driven because consumers have been more at home this year even more than they have been last year but 25 percent of that or so is from consumers that are over the age of 55 that are included in that video streaming and that's not you know it includes your hulu Uh, your major streaming, you know, apps as well, but it's also your YouTube, your social media, all of that video would be in there. And, you know, another, just to give you an idea on another thing, when we're talking about like the apps that you have on your phone or your tablet, and how much time consumers are spending there, we have four and a half hours, nearly five hours in 2020 is what people are spending on their smartphones or their tablets and and throughout the course of an individual day. And that's grown over 50 minutes, since 2019 and again a lot of that is driven people being at home more than they are than they usually are but then that's grown even 50 minutes from 2018 so the growth rate has been there uh, a lot of these apps that people are using and, and that's what the checkoff is looking to do is meet consumers where they are and they're online uh, using a an allotment of all these apps and online streaming a lot of these different videos
0: and buck jumping back to that question that i uh... Posed, and I know you've heard it, that uh, producers may say, well, I'm not seeing the, the beef. It's what's for dinner commercials on TV. I, I'm not seeing any of this. Well, uh, at the end of the day, respectfully, they're not the audience that is being targeted. Uh, 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 folks that maybe buy beef once in a while or, or maybe are a little weary about it, that, that's the target audience. What, what is your usual dialogue and conversation when addressing a question like that?
1: Yeah, you know, I'll harken back to one of the things I mentioned, that there's there's only so many dollars, and all those costs have gone up, and you mentioned the Hallmark Channel, which owns the Christmas season, and have been showing Christmas movies for weeks already, and so we are actually, we have some ads on there that, with the Drew log and so forth, that the only reason we're on there is because of COVID this year. Um, I've lost the percentage, but you know, we got a really good buy on that, and it may be a one- and done. We may not get to do it again because it's too expensive. And so uh, there's some opportunities that come from this, and uh, the people I have not seen one of the ads yet, but the people I know that have are, are pretty impressed with them. And one of, one of them is the log, which was very popular last year. And so that's an opportunity to you know use a, use an, <laughs> now it's an old-fashioned. Uh, medium to to get in front of people, but with such a popular uh, station, uh, we think that that's going to be pretty effective. And, and, you know, we're always looking for a big holiday uh, effort, and and that's going to fulfill that, we think, this year.
2: Yeah, and, you know, I think it it was... (coughs) Sorry about that. I was going to just add on to the comments that, you know... When a lot of the country was shutting down, just like we've seen across, Hallmark actually kept producing new content. They actually have 40 new movies throughout this year, Uh, and one of the things consumers have told us, in addition to cooking, and there's going to be a lot more smaller gatherings during the holidays, but in addition to cooking, is watching movies is going to be even expanded more so than it usually is during that holiday season, so it just seemed like a great opportunity for beef this year.
0: Well, uh, thank you both for, for talking about, you know, that aspect of uh, checkoff promotion and, uh, again, being on the Hallmark Channel for uh, being on uh, national broadcast uh, TV for the first time since 2003. And it, it all comes down to utilizing those checkoff dollars in the most cost-efficient way to, to reach consumers. And, uh, you know, all the legwork that has been done since the mid-1980s when the checkoff was created up till now – It has put beef on people's minds, and that's the most important thing. And, Buck, where do you think we would be at if this pandemic would have occurred and the checkoff and the research and the resources that are available were not in place to help uh, consumers buy beef, cook beef, try different recipes? Uh, Can you imagine where we'd be without that?
1: Um, I can, and, uh, you know, It is very frustrating for all of us out here on the broad domain to be getting beat up pretty hard uh, with markets and losing money and losing equity and so forth, and then watching other sectors sickle along and make a ton of money, and it will make you hate your mother. However, it could be worse. If those sectors were not making money and did not have the impetus to process the cattle they did, I mean, if you think this market was bad, it it could have gone half of what it was if we'd have backed cattle up to where we did have to take some, some huge uh, steps. And so the fact that the profit was there to encourage those people and give them the money to do the mitigation that they did for their employees, spend the money, and so forth, uh, that was... That was a very good friend of ours to help us make it through this. It doesn't help your bank account look any better or your balance sheet, but uh, I hope people understand, you know, the the job of the checkoff, as you mentioned earlier, is to strengthen demand, and it certainly has done that. And without that strong demand, you know, like I mentioned, the first 10 years I was in the business, demand was going down every year. I mean, just like clockwork and if we'd have been in that when this happened lord only knows how low this thing would have gone and so that's a really good point and one that i try and remind people even though it's uh it's not it's it's hard to accept but it's the it's the real facts on the ground
0: and when we look back to this state of consumer report sean uh, there's just so many good key takeaways that people can be looking at. But the, the one that I want to touch on again is that increase in the positive perception of beef. That, that reached 70% for the first time. Can, can you share uh, how big that is to, to see beef, the perception of it, increase during a dark time as well?
2: Yeah, you know, it's something that we've been monitoring and trying to understand throughout the course of the year. But we have seen that throughout a variety of our measures that I had mentioned in our consumer beef trackers. Consumers overall feel more positive about beef, whether it's about how cattle are, are raised specifically and all the things that go into that. Or as I mentioned earlier, some of those drivers around versatility and the value they feel like they're getting from beef throughout this, which has become a real strong driver Of that consumption. So yes, it's you know going back to that point, it's up five six percent from what we traditionally see, and it you know anecdotally we think there's just a lot of things on consumers' minds this year, right? Uh, Whether it's worrying about your kids going back to school, the economy there for a little while, uh, obviously the pandemic itself, uh, we had an election this year. There's a lot of things going on, natural disasters that it may just be at least temporarily anyway. There wasn't as much room in the consumer mindset to worry about some of those things that they were worried about previously. It's more about making sure they get the food, not um, you know, not those little itty, those little uh, issues that they may have had in the past. and And honestly, we see it as a great opportunity to continue to educate while there is this continued positive mindset around beef around beef production. So that's a lot of what you're going to see coming out. From the beef checkoff in 2021 There's a lot of reassurance around a lot of those myths you might hear on, you know, plant-based being better than beef or beef is bad for the environment or even some of those health ideas. It's, you know, consumers aren't factoring those things in as much right now. So let's try to set the record straight on a variety of
1: those things. You know, ancillary to that, uh, the the research that's done and, and having uh, Sean and his group having their finger on the pulse of the consumer. When these things come out by people like Lancet and whatnot, uh, we're able to ascertain pretty quickly, is that something we need to get out there with a bullhorn, or is this something we need to just lay low and and let the little brush fire burn out? Because sometimes those things catch fire, you know, like like California, and sometimes it's a little flare-up and it's gone, and the worst thing you could do is is throw gasoline on it by by you talking about it. And so that's really, I think, really important, one of the more important things that's done in, in understanding what the consumer's watching. And once again, it's all this social media that, that gives you that almost instantaneously.
2: Yeah, and, and you know, Buck, one of the other measures that we're seeing increase this year is trust behind the farmers and ranchers. And another thought that we've just had is it may just be there's a lot more respect. Consumers are further away from their food than they've ever been. They really just don't know how cattle are produced, let alone most food, whether it's produce or meat, and how it gets to the plate. And with all those shortages and seeing the shelves empty, you know, we've heard a lot in focus groups that there might be just a little bit more respect for getting food to the table and what's happening there, So which is another tremendous opportunity for beef to be able to tell their story.
0: Now, Sean, we, we don't know how long this pandemic or the aftermath of it is going to last. But, of course, our main goal is to make sure that, that beef is the number one protein on consumers' minds. Uh, now looking ahead, uh, what can we be thinking about? What research is taking place? Uh, wh- what can you share with our audience here today?
2: Yeah, you know, I'd like to start just with the landscape and what we're seeing with the general consumer and how things are changing or not changing. Obviously, there's been a lot of stay-at-home orders or just people feeling more comfortable not doing activities. One of the things we've been monitoring is just this consumer comfort tracker. And whether it's going out to eat or church or any of those other activities, the majority of people right now, and when I say that, I mean through fall, has been not very comfortable, to to say the least. The majority, over 60 percent, are not comfortable Uh, partaking in activities like sitting inside at a restaurant or even outside at a restaurant at this point. But the eagerness is there. Uh, So I think food service, you know, it will eventually get back to where it was as these vaccines and everything comes out because we do see consumers saying they miss going to the movies, they miss going out uh, to to eat, and just, you know, what is that little relief they might get from their week and going out and grabbing lunch while they're at work and, and so on and so forth. Uh, But we do know it's going to take a little time, even when the vaccines become available. You know, this question we ask consumers is how much will it improve uh, once the vaccine is available? And we do see lifts in those numbers. We see more people comfortable, but it's more of a three- to six-month thing for them. Uh, Right now, most of them are still just slightly more comfortable after the vaccine becomes available, which is obviously very close and in some areas already happening uh, with some people. So that's something we're going to be continuing to watch, but we we do think, obviously, a lot of these dynamics are temporary. Um, But as I mentioned earlier, I think what all of this means for us is we want to continue to understand what's going to go on. And obviously, we can't predict how long this is is going to last, but we're going to continue to track all of these behaviors. But look for those opportunities for beef, one of them that you're going to see coming out from the checkoff this year is there's going to be a big focus on Uh, sustainability and just making sure those positive stories continue to be out there, whether they're about animal welfare, about the environment. There'll be a a big campaign uh, from NCBA on behalf of the beef checkoff that highlights that. And a big component of that is going to include a lot of this market research we've mentioned to make sure we understand what really is top of mind with consumers when they say the word sustainability and they say so many of these other things And how do we address that in a way, uh, to what Buck mentioned earlier, that we're not breaking ourselves into a jail, but we're educating consumers on the great work that's being done, whether it's in the conservation space or the animal management or uh, grazing and land management and whatever it might be, to make sure those messages are getting out there. So we take advantage of the opportunities we have with beef being so positive in the mindset right now.
0: And Buck, uh, from your perspective as uh, chair of the Federation, uh, what should folks be thinking about and maybe some, some last uh, words of wisdom to share with our uh, listeners today?
1: I suppose what comes to mind is <clears throat> once again reiterating the things, the, the powerful messages and data that we have at our fingertips that's been uh, put together over, over, over decades, you know, by, by people that went before us. That that's there on the shelf. It's like a library. And so we've been able to be there, like Sean said, meet the people where they are and uh, provide them with, with what they needed for more cooking meals at home and so forth. One of the things we've wrung our hands in this business about forever is, you know, we can't, we don't have a chicken McNugget and we don't have this and and people don't know how to cook our product. Well, you know what? They do. And they can learn. And the interesting, an interesting thing about the millennials is, uh, many of them like to cook, and many of them like to buy nice wine and nice scotch and good food. And so, uh, you talk about something that redounds to beef. You know, we are the most expensive uh, animal protein, and yet we're the best, and and people like it, and and that's been demonstrated. I think the interesting thing going forward will be <clears throat> for our partners in food service you know, how they get those people back who have learned to cook at home and uh, and actually be able to purchase more of the same product that they get at a restaurant. We need our food service partners, too, and that's going to be a challenge for them. And, of course, the checkoff's going to be there to help them as well. But the, the these are interesting times and, and a lot of things being learned and behaviors being changed. You know, these podcasts and Zoom meetings and Teams meetings and so forth, you know, it, we're, we're not going back to the way it was. We may go part of the way back, but not all the way back. And I think that's going to be that way in in meal preparation and, and like, like you were talking earlier with buying online and, and so on and so forth. So I think, the, I think the producer, I mean, we're in great position because we're putting out the product people want. We've, I mean, if you'd have told me 20 years ago we'd have 80 to 85% choice in prime, I'd have said you're nuttier in a fruitcake, and here we are. And so that's what people want. That's what we're providing. Our exports are good. And so uh, we just have to get some equilibrium where we don't have too many cattle. The packer's a better buyer when there's too many cattle, and we're a better seller when there's not quite enough. And so we just need some some leverage and some equilibrium, and we'll be back to uh, normal times again. You know, who knows? That could be a matter of a few months, three to six months.
0: Yeah, exactly. Uh, now I'm
1: a market. Pro- now I'm a market uh, prognosticator. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I, I, I was going to ask you, Buck. Um, what? Uh, how's this drought going to impact uh, uh, the cattle that here this moving into the wintertime and into next spring? What What is your uh, uh, magic eight ball uh, look into the wh- how this uh, drought across parts of the West, and the Midwest, will impact uh, cattle numbers?
1: Yeah, and um, it, it's it's multifaceted, but two two big ones are what's it do for grain production in our state in Nebraska I think it's something like eighty percent of the corn that's harvested comes off of irrigated acres eighty percent of the acres aren't irrigated but eighty percent of the production comes off of acres that are we will always have a corn crop however as you move into places that don't have irrigation if the drought spreads and we go into the spring without subsoil moisture which has been a lot of springs since that's happened in, in in my memory you know that could uh that could exacerbate uh corn prices which would impact you know the cost of gain and production costs in the feed yard and therefore uh what the feeder cattle bring and then obviously if you start having droughts in areas where the cows have to be now you're talking about you know we had those two big droughts south of i-40 and then north of i-40 and, or i should say i-70 and and that caused a huge turmoil and uh and back in the teens. And so, uh, you know, we're we're going to have to be watching that very closely. And, but droughts, you know, that can change very quickly. And so, uh, you know, obviously we don't control the weather. The good Lord does. And, and, and we trust that, I guess.
0: Very true. And, and Sean, for, for um, our folks listening to this, I'm sure most of them are going to be like, ah, Lane was all over the board getting into the sagebrush again. Where can they find the state of consumer report uh, for for fall 2020 to really learn more about all these different uh, talking points we discussed for today's show? Where can they find that information?
2: Yeah, we actually just relaunched the Beef is org website and gave it a little bit of facelift. So if you go out to that website, BeefResearch.org, you'll see a market research tab, and it's one of the main features you will see underneath that tab and it's a it's actually in a fully designed piece that you can either download and print or uh, send along to whoever you think's interested
0: perfect perfect well uh gentlemen thank you guys so much for for joining us today buck i'm I'm glad you and your wife are are doing well uh after having covid and and uh as uh, this cooler temperatures come down uh what's your weather looking like over the next few weeks here down there in nebraska
1: you know it's supposed to be chilly but dry, and uh, our grandkids all want a white Christmas. But I'm a I'm the Grinch when it comes to that. I don't I don't care if we have a white Christmas. <laughs> you know an inch of snow would be enough for me. But uh, it's supposed to be pretty good weather for uh, cattle production, unless you know you need to make hay next spring, and then we need then we, we need some moisture in between now and then. But but right now is not a bad time for a drought in this country.
0: Well, we uh, woke up to about five seven inches here in Southwest Montana today, and uh, I can't wait to uh, preg check this Friday. Yeah, that's going to be fun. Of course, yeah, you know, put that off till the till the temperatures fall down. Just but that's it's been a busy busy time for veterinarians and producers, not only in Montana but across uh, the nation. Uh, uh, gentlemen, again, any last comments before I get you uh, let you get back to your your busy days here before we wrap up today's cattle cattleman's call.
1: I just wish everybody a Merry Christmas and, uh, you know, you, you take it like the bronc rider, you take a deep seat in the long rain and, and hang on and, and we'll come out of this thing and get back on the upswing.
2: Yeah, you know, I'll do the same. Merry Christmas to everyone. And I just I think my key takeaways and beef's in a great spot and we have some tremendous opportunities uh, through this year and beyond. So we're excited for that here at NCBA and the checkoff in general.
0: Well, uh, speaking of Christmas, yes, it's just around the corner and, uh, for some great recipes for holiday cooking for beef, I'd encourage you to visit beef. It's what's for dinner.com. There's some outstanding recipes for prime rib, whatever it might be. That centerpiece of course should be a nice cut of beef there on your dining room table, whether you are able to gather with family or not, uh, uh, have a happy Christmas, and uh, let's have a good new year as uh, we wrap up 2020 and look towards the future. But, uh, again, Buck Werbine and Sean Darcy, our guests today, thank you so much. And and I hope to see you both in person sometime here in the near future, but uh, most likely there at the Cattle Industry Convention 2021 uh, down in Nashville, Tennessee.
1: Amen, brother, and I uh, appreciate you having us on.
0: Yes, have a good one. All right, friends, that will do it for today's Cattleman's Call podcast. I'm Lane Nordlund. We'll catch you next time. Thanks for tuning in to NCBA's Cattleman's Call podcast with Lane Nordlund. For more information, visit ncba.org and make sure
1: to subscribe to the podcast today.